I'm going to try to get you guys equipped. So while uh, those papers are going out, um, I'll grab a question out of the blue box. The blue box, the blue box up here, there's cards up here and there are pens up here. And this is available for you guys. Anybody want to ask any questions, you can put them in here anonymously and we just kind of go after them. Um, Um, it says at the Truth Project this Sunday, I didn't understand what Deltac it meant when he said God is humble. Tiafanos, um, can you please elaborate? Okay, I think the concept, good stuff. Um, I think the, um, the concept that he was trying to get by is oftentimes we don't understand when it says that Jesus was humble. And we don't understand what that term humble means. Because we, I think, sometimes view humbleness um, wrongfully. To be humble means to judge yourself rightly. It doesn't mean to be pathetic. It doesn't mean to be humiliated. It means to know who you are and to know what your limits are and your boundaries are, not to overestimate yourself, not to underestimate yourself. And in the Tiafanos, you've got Jesus who basically humbles himself. I want you to consider this for a moment. It says that in the beginning God made, and he said, let us make man in our own image. It's very clear within the scriptures that Jesus was the creative force that ignited the stars, that founded the mountains, that filled the seas, that moves and set the stars in their courses. Jesus is God in the fullness. It says the fullness of deity, the fullness of Godship dwelt in Jesus in a human bodily form. If you will, the word incarnation literally means to put into meat. And it says there that God was placed and wrapped in flesh. Somehow, that goes way beyond our abilities, God was able to humble himself. He laid aside the glory that he shared with the Father. He laid aside many things we know. Part of the things that he laid aside is he laid aside an aspect of his omniscience. He laid an aspect of his omnipotence and his omnipresence, and he dwelt in one place at one time as a man. He humbled himself. He said he did nothing except what he saw the Father doing. He's doing this as an example to us. You see, pride and arrogance are from hell. And the truth is, they're a lie. You see, when you meet someone and they're very prideful and they're very arrogant, they're just living a lie. Chances are they're covering up cowardice. It's almost exclusively. If you've got a bully, you've got a coward, right? You've got somebody who's just so dead set on intimidating you or proving to you how brave or courageous or strong or mean they are. What you're usually dealing with is a very fragile individual. It's a lie. You can't change the hairs on your head from black to white. You can with bleach, okay? That's not what Jesus was meaning. Back then, they didn't have L'Oreal, okay? What Jesus says is you can't just go there right now and go, white, blonde, redhead. You can't do that. And your hair just goes, doo, 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 doo. 
He's like, you can't even change one hair on your head. So don't get too puffed up, little man, right? Jesus humbled himself. Now, he had an incredible amount of strength. In fact, remember, do you remember when they came to get Jesus? And they had, a, they had the, um, the high priestly guard comes to get him. They've got swords, they've got shields, they've got the whole thing. And he says to them, he says, who do you come to seek? And they say, well, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he stands up and he goes, I am he. And it says, they fell down as dead men. I think for a moment, Jesus was just getting kind of, it's just like, let's make sure everybody's clear here. Because he knew, here, here it comes. He's going to let himself get butchered. But he just stood up and he says, I am. And for just that moment, for those three words, I am, boom, they went down. I would think when they stood back up, rattled, he says, I'm sorry, who are you looking for? You know, maybe a couple of them split. So we're looking for Jesus. I'm the one. And then he let them take him and beat him and pull his beard out and rip his back off and nail him to a cross and shred him. That strength, because at any moment, all he had to do is go, you don't exist. And everything's done. There's no memory. There's no nothing. But Jesus loves us that much. Guys, can I tell you something in a culture that is so replete of quitting, of quitting everything, just put that out of your mind. You were not made to be quitters, okay? You were not formed in the image of a quitter. Quitting is from the pits of hell. God made you to persevere and succeed. We'll even see that in tonight's message. But Jesus humbled himself, and he asked us to humble ourselves. Well, what does that mean? That means that if somebody comes up and jumps in your face, you take it. What? It means you don't jump back in their face. Are you that fragile that if somebody says, you're ugly, you've got to go, uh-uh. It's like, and? You know? So what? Well, you're pathetic. Hey, nice to meet you. You know, I'm, what? We, you're created in the image of God. Who cares what people say about you? Right? You are a daughter or a son of the Most High God. If you receive Jesus Christ inside of you, the infinite Spirit of God dwells within you and can give you whatever you need for whatever He calls you to do, even if He calls you to die. You see, Christians don't even fear death. What's the worst thing you can do to me? You can put a bullet in my head and send me to heaven. That's it. That's the threat. You better stop it or you're going to heaven right now. I mean it. You're going to be with the angels right now in the presence of my Lord and majesty, rocketed through time and space to the end times, to the judgment seat, just in time to watch the devil and his angels and all of those who reject Christ to be thrown into the eternal lake of fire and all sin judged for all of eternity, that I might turn around and glory and bask within the presence of the almighty king. Please, no, stop. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you understand? So we can humble ourselves. Only those who are strong and eternal can humble themselves. The weak cannot humble themselves. They are too afraid. They are too self-conscious. They cannot humble themselves. So I think that's what he was talking about on that. Now, let's jump into tonight's. Um, we're going to kind of keep picking up. As you know, we're going to give you a, it's an overview. I'm hoping to give you something that you can grasp, hold, take, and know the Bible from start to finish. And so let's see how it works here. Basically, and help, go with me on this, um, I'm having you use your hands. I'm having you use your voices um, because it helps in, in learning. Basically, um, there are three ways you can learn, audible, visual, and kinesthetic. Those are the three avenues by which you guys can access knowledge. And so when I teach, that's audible. For the audible learners, that works for you. All right? We throw up visuals, and we do things with our hands. I mean, we'll do the visuals so that the visual learners can learn, and we do stuff with our hands when we move so that the kinesthetic can learn. So if you do all three of these, you should have this locked into your brain. This would work out pretty good. So, your Bible, you've got one book, and it is broken into two parts. You've got an Old Testament, and you've got a New Testament. The Old Testament has how many books in it? 39. The New Testament has how many books in it? 27. You put the two together, you have how many? 66. Let's try that one more time. For those of you who were born in Valencia County. Okay, the Old Testament, 39. New Testament, 27, put them together, you've got 66 books of the Bible. Okay, now the Old Testament is broke into, the way it's arranged in your Bibles is into five parts. The first is the law, it's called the Torah. The second is the histories of Israel. It goes through the history of Israel. After that comes the books of poetry. After poetry comes the first five books of prophecy, the main books of prophecy, then the minor prophets. One of the best proofs that your Bible is true is that these things that were written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus Christ come true. And the Bible shows itself to be true. Even things that it wrote of this age are coming true. Next book's New Testament. It is also broken into five parts. That's the reason we're using our hands. Okay? If it was broken into six parts, we'd have a challenge. But this is five. It's got the Gospels, which records the life of Jesus Christ. It's the first part. Oops. New Testament. Bink. It has the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. After that is the one book of history. It's the history of the early church. The span covered by the New Testament is, uh, the time span is only like... Honestly, is 60 years. All right, well, if we take the latest book of Revelations, 90 years. All right. Then you have the letters of Paul that he writes to the churches to tell them what it means to be a Christian. Then you have the letters that are written by others to teach them what it means to be a Christian. And the last book is a book of prophecy, Revelations, that tells of the future. It also tells of your future. When we get to that, we'll go into that. There's different ways that you can read the book of Revelations. Pretty good. Now, all of this happens in real time and real space. This is not jello on a wall. This is reality, and it's set in history and in science. And therefore, history and science and archaeology and all of these things should come together to support it. So let's look where it happens. It happens in the Fertile Crescent. I'm not going to go into this too much right now because I'm going to draw it over here, and I want you guys to be able to draw a simple map like the one I gave you on the piece of paper. Now, let's go on ahead and do a review of kind of our, our hand movements. So far, this is, is how far we've got. The first one is creation. 
Okay? So basically, God creates. He creates the planets. He creates the stars. He creates everything. It says that everything was formless and void, and God gave it shape, and he filled it. Then there is corruption. Right? Corruption, you're grabbing the fruit, and you're eating of it. The corruption is when Lucifer, who has fallen from his state of grace because of his arrogance and pride, comes and the best thing he can do is pick on somebody who's lower than him and deceives those who are only a couple days old. Okay? And he deceives Adam and Eve and they fall. Because of that, they, they'll go through some stuff. So we have corruption. Then what we have is they're cast out of the garden and so we have the first offerings, vegetables and blood. We have that which was brought from Cain, that which was brought from me, vegetables and blood. We'll talk about that in a minute. We have murder, and we have a flood, and we went over that. And basically, this is the kingdom that's being destroyed. The last part of this is we have a tower, and we have tongues. We have the, the distribution of nations and of languages. All of these things are supportable by science. It's really cool. So now let's look at that. That's as far as we've gotten. And I want to give you, if you've got your little page, does anybody had, has never gotten one of these? Now, if you forgot it, Repent, bring it. If you forgot it and lost it, you can get another one. Um, we'll, we'll go kick a squirrel out of its house, cut down its house, and make you one. So, um, but if you can conserve these, that would be fantastic. Um, all right. So if you're looking on that, we've got creation, corruption, vegetables, blood, murder, Flood, tower, tongues. Now we start a new part. 4,000. 4,000. Can you do that? Four and three O's. Three zeros. 4,000 years ago, God calls Abraham. Takes him from Babylon. Now, you see that up there? I'm using that like you're seeing that. I see that map in my head. Takes him from Babylon into the promised land. Okay? Um, it says within the scriptures that, and I'm going to, do I, yeah, I do, praise the Lord. I'm going to do that map right up there, right down here. Here's the Mediterranean. What we have here is called the Nile River Delta, which means that the Nile River is flowing into the Mediterranean Ocean. This is the Mediterranean. And so it spreads out kind of like it does in Louisiana, right? You've got what's called a delta. It's a marshy area. And it comes out here. Right here was actually one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the lighthouse of Alexandria. And there was also a library there. It was excellent. Now, when we come up here, we've got something that kind of looks like a peace sign, all right, or a bunny. And um, that's the Red Sea. All right. Right in the tip of this portion right here is where Mount Sinai is. And then over here we have what's called the Persian Gulf. It's just another little gulf that comes up like this. And there's two rivers. They, they kind of converge, come back out. They converge and come back out and into the, um, down into the Persian Gulf. All right, these are your Euphrates and Tigris. If you're reading like we read from left to right, it's alphabetical. You hit the Euphrates and then you hit the Tigris. You with me? In this narrowing spot right here, we have Babylon. And if you look down about here, it's Ur. Ur. 
It says that God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans. If the Bible says that God calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans, there better be a ruins of Ur, and it better be part of what we know historically as a Chaldean empire, and that's exactly what we find. He was taken out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he moved up with his family, which he wasn't supposed to come up with, to a place called Haran. It was named Haran after his brother because he went with his dad. This is what happened. God calls Abram and he says, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave everything and follow me. That's what Jesus calls us to right now. Jesus is not saying, hey, add me to all your stuff. Now, if you're into something, just buy Christian versions of it. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. He's not calling us to be Christian versions of what we are currently. He's calling us to repent and to forsake everything for him. This is a big difference. If you just add Jesus to what you currently have, you're never going to taste the power of God. You're never going to understand the depth of Christianity, and it's just going to be like a dead religion. So just in the same way, God calls Abram, and he says, leave everything, family, place, everything, and come. I'm not even telling you where I'm taking you. You follow me. Well, Abram doesn't really obey. He takes his dad, and his dad lost his brother, Haran, and so he was taking care of his grandson, which was Abram's nephew, Lot, and they all kind of go together as a big happy family, but God said, that's not what I want. So what happens is they get up to here to this place called Haran, and they kind of hang out here, up by kind of Nineveh, and they hang up there, and, and I think his dad kind of gets it started because that's the name of his brother, and he names it after his brother, and then his dad dies. Well, finally, you would think, well, Abram's now he's going to obey God, and he starts to keep, he keeps his journey going, and he starts to come around into, what, into the land where the Lord's showing him. The problem is he still has got his nephew Lot with him. We're going to find that that really kind of gets upset, but as soon as he separates from his dad, God says, I'm going to show you the land I'm taking you to. So the first part of the promise he gets, he gets the land, and he comes down into the land. But then he hangs out here with his, his nephew Lot for a while. And when um, that gets to be a real problem, he says, Lot, you need to go one direction, and I'm going to go one direction. Lot looks down to Sodom and Gomorrah because it's like Las Vegas. The place is happening. Um, you can have sex with anything there. You can drink anything you want there. You can take anything you want, snort anything you want, eat anything you want. Okay, it's the happening place. And Lot says, I think I'll go down there. Abraham says, fine, you go wherever you want. So Lot, it says, sets his, pitches his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And at that point, Abraham turns and he builds an altar to God at a place called Bethel, which means the house of God, Bethel, the house of God. And there he finally separates from Lot, and God gives him the fullness of the promise because he's finally obeying. Now let's look at this a little bit because I want to show you a pattern we're going to find in this. I think... Yeah. When we look, we started. I want you to see if you can see the pattern. Once sin entered in, Adam and Eve tried to make a covering of fig leaves. That didn't work, so God uh, said, that's not going to work. You're going to need skin. Fig leaves were man's idea. It was work-based. God says, it's not going to cover your sin. And he sacrifices an innocent animal. It's by blood that they were forgiven. We saw that. Then we get Cain and Abel. And Cain offers vegetables, which was the work 
of his labor from his sweat. And God says, no, you need to do as Abel does, and you must come to me through blood. That's God's plan. Your sin is stronger than you are. Your sin owns you, and you can't get rid of it. And if you do a nice thing, that doesn't get rid of your sin. It just puts a nice thing on top of your sin. The only one who has the power and ability to remove sin from you is God, and it can only be done by blood. The Bible says, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So God's plan is blood, skin. Man's thing is like, I'll do my, I got, I got an idea, I'll use leaves, because God can't see through fig leaves. Okay, it doesn't work. Then Cain says, well, here's my labor, that doesn't work. So then we come to the next one. We have the Tower of Babel, which is man's religion. He decides he's going to make his own stairway to heaven. But God's provision during this time, are, are right next to that, is the ark. It has one door. It's one way. And God produce, brings judgment, and you have to walk through that one door. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. Jesus even calls himself the door. You guys starting to see a pattern here? Man's work, man's idea, man's work. Basically, man's work, man's work, man's work, man's work. God intercedes. God's solution. God's salvation. Okay. Now we go to the next one. We've seen Lot turns his eyes to Sodom, and Abraham turns his eyes to Bethel. And when he gets this, we get the first promise. If you've got it, does anybody got a Bible? Wow, you can't read that on there. You could on my screen. Uh, it's the Genesis 12.2. If you're taking little notes in your paper, it's Genesis 12.2. And if somebody can look that up, actually, we're going to be in Genesis here. So if you're in Genesis, got it? Can you read it out nice and loud? Okie doke. Nope, that's good. That's all we need right there. Um, so we see the first promise. He says, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great kingdom. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I want you to see those two parts. I will make you great, and I will make you a blessing to others. That's the first promise. So our next part is, is we go... Creation, corruption, um, help me out. Vegetables, blood, murder, flood, you guys can do it. Tower, tongues, 4,000 years ago, God calls Abraham out of Babylon into the promised land. You see the next part? A kingdom promised. Here's our promise. A kingdom has been promised. This is a new covenant. God says, I'm going to make you, Abram, a nation, a people with many, and I will bless the entire planet through you. Well, Abraham says, this is a great idea. In fact, Abram's name means daddy, Abram, Abba. Well, he's about 80. God makes him this promise. He keeps living. Lot does a bunch of goofy stuff. We won't go into that. It'd be really cool, but... We can't go into every story. Well, now Abram's like 89, and he doesn't have, he has zero kids. Sarah's womb is barren. So Sarah goes, hey, I got an idea. When you took me down to Egypt, Pharaoh gave me a slave. 
Hagar, why don't you, basically, why don't you go into her and conceive a child, and under, under this law, your lineage was so important that they had this provision. If a woman was barren, but she wanted her name to go on, she could have her servant get pregnant, and then what would happen is that the servant, when she had the baby, the mother would catch the baby, and she would actually, she would stand behind her, and they would squat together, and she would have the baby kind of in her lap. If she did this, then that baby was hers. She's like, we can have, we can, God's promise can come true, but I'm old. I can't have babies. My, my womb's always been barren, and now I'm 70. I'm not going to have a baby. Let's face it. God can't do this. So she has Hagar. Abraham has sex with Hagar, and she conceives, and she has a boy, and his name is Ishmael. And so now Abraham's like, yay, God's promise is coming true. I've got a kid. Well, God then does come, and he repeats the promise. This is after Lot separates, and he repeats and gives him this full promise. And he says, Lord, have favor upon Ishmael. And God says, no, that's not my plan. I'm going to give you a child through Sarah. Now, Sarah hears this and laughs, right? And uh, God's like, she laughing? She's not laughing. No, we're not laughing. It's not funny. We don't think it's funny. He says, I tell you, within a year, I'll come back. Now, at this point, Abram is 100 years old. Sarah is 90. And he says, when I come back next year, you're going to have a kid. And sure enough, they do, and they name him Isaac. Isaac means laughter, okay? Because Sarah's just kind of going, who to thunk it? You know? Everybody's going to laugh when they see us carrying a baby. But it was true, and so God had his plan. So we have two sons, and we're going to keep this little pattern going here because I want you to start seeing that there's a repetitive. God's really trying to get this into our heads. All right, the first one is Ishmael. So we go, 4,000 years ago, God calls Abraham out of Babylon into the promised land. A kingdom promised. Make your left hand come up. Ishmael, not the one. Isaac, a kingdom promised. The promise comes to Isaac. Now, I want you to know who Ishmael becomes. Ishmael ends up having 10 or 12 sons, and he ends up coming, giving rise to the people that we now know today are the Muslims. Okay? And the war between Ishmael and Isaac has been started back here when Abram didn't trust God and said, you know what? I think God needs some help. Obviously, God is impotent. He doesn't have the power. He's not smart enough to make this happen, so we'll help him. And since that time, we now have wars between the Muslims, and their intent is to get rid of Jews and Christians. If they, were to, if they believe the Koran, if they read it and believe it, they need to get rid of us because we, um, we're worse than heretics. We're infidels. Okay, so it started right here. Ishmael is not the one. Isaac, a kingdom is promised. So let's look at that promise. That is in Genesis 26, 3 and 4. If somebody can grab chapter 26. Alex, can you read it nice and loud? Chapter 26, verse 3 and 4.
Okay, I don't know if you've noticed. It's got more words in it, but it's the same promise. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to the whole world. Do you see that twofold promise in this covenant? I will bless you with many, 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 many children. I will make a great nation out of you. I will make you a powerful nation. And through you, the entire planet is going to be blessed. That's the promise. It was the promise that was given to Abraham, and it is the promise that is given to Isaac. Now, Isaac, here's the deal. Because Abraham is now called out, before this, God confused the tongues. He scattered the people. Remember, we had the Japhethites and the Shemites and the Hamites, and they gave rise to birth to all the peoples of the world. Now, up until this point, everybody's just doing their own thing. Anybody can kind of be with anybody, and you marry whoever you want to marry, and because it was probably, especially early on, your sister or your cousin or your fourth cousin, and pretty soon, you're just kind of propagating. It doesn't matter. But now God called Abram. And he says, from your seed, I will bless the world. So Abram turns to his servant and he says, you need to get a wife from my son Isaac. But I don't want you to go grab some goofball from some one of these other bloods. You go back to my house and you find a woman for him. And it's a really beautiful story. I'm going to go through all of those stories together, which talk about the bride. And there's a prophetic meaning on all of those. But suffice to say that the servant goes and gets a bride for Isaac, Rebekah, from his own people. Okay? Now, so then, I got to go back 4,000 years ago. God calls Abraham out of Babylon into the promised land. Kingdom promised, Ishmael, not the one, Isaac, a kingdom promised. Now, Isaac has two sons. He has Esau and Jacob. Okay, so they're twins, and here's what's trippy about them. They're getting born, right? Esau's coming out, and as he's coming out, they're having a hard time. There's a foot still in there. And they're kind of pulling on him. It's like, what's up with the foot? They pull. Jacob's got a hold of it. He's trying to pull him back in. And they're going, this is weird, right? You can imagine what the midwife's dealing with when she pulls out the foot and there's this little hand just tugging on. It's like, no, I want to be first, right? Because the first in Jewish culture gets a double portion and the first blessing. Everything goes to the firstborn. The firstborn is a very important position. And so they name their first son Esau. Okay, Esau means literally hairy. Okay, that's what it means, hairy, like you know the name hairy. And he was very hairy. He was a manly kind of man's man. It also means a doer. He was the hunter. He was the one out doing everything, man's man. He's, he's out there doing all the time. Jacob, they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber or supplanter, which means one who tries to grab what belongs to the other. He's kind of the smaller guy, okay? But here's the deal. He wants the blessing. Esau doesn't care. Esau just wants to hunt and eat. He's a uh guy, all right? So what happens is that um, Esau's out hunting, and he has a bad day. He doesn't get anything. Meanwhile, Jacob is back, Metro Man is back cooking food. And he cooks up a pot of lentil soup. 
Esau comes in, sits down, goes, man, I want that soup. Jacob, and maybe you guys can identify, maybe you have a little brother, a little sister like this. He's going, what are you going to give me? It's like, dude, it's lentil soup. How expensive is that? It's like, give me your birthright. My birthright? Which means Jacob gets the double portion and Esau gets a single portion. All right, it's a special thing. It's the birthright. It's the name. It's the name. It's Isaac's name. It's carrying on the lineage of the family. And Esau goes, yeah, I don't care. Who cares if I'm the firstborn? I don't even really care for Isaac all that much. And what good is it going to do me if I starve to death not eating this soup? Yeah, sure, give me a bowl of soup. You can have my birthright, whatever. There are those who do not cherish what they've been given. Can I tell you, maybe you gave your life to Jesus at a very young age. It came very easy to you because you had parents who ran in front of you. Do not despise that which has been given to you because you're liable to, to basically trade it out for a bowl of soup, for something that just pleases your flesh. I know people right now, I'm praying for them, and I'm, and I'm emailing them, and I'm calling them, and the truth is, is they've sold Jesus out because they just wanted to do what they wanted to do. Are you following me? Know anybody like that? They just, they wanted to party or they wanted to play slap and tickle, or they wanted to make out and play tonsil hockey. They just wanted something that the world has to offer, and they're like, you know what, this whole Jesus, get in my face, you guys are all judgmental, shoving it down my throat, just get out. I just want, I need a bowl of soup. I'm hungry, I want soup. I'm horny, I want a person. I'm bored, I want entertainment. It sounds gross, doesn't it? Because it is gross. We're trading that which is divine for that which is common. Do not do what Esau did, for it says later he found no room for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. See to it that there be no ungodly, immoral man like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal, it says in Romans. And that's what happens. Well, Jacob has the birthright. Cost him a bowl of soup. Pretty good bargain. Well, now Isaac's about ready to die. And so there's another part, and it's the blessing. Now, can I tell you something? I want you guys to understand this, and I want you to understand the limit of this. Have you ever, you know, the whole sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me? Okay, we all know that's garbage, right? We know that words can really hurt bad. Can I tell you whose words hurt probably the worst? A mom and a dad's to a child. Okay, though there's this whole big ruse, and everybody's, you know, teenagers are putting on the whole tough, I don't care, I don't know, whatever, yeah, huh? Okay, we all know this is a game. You know it's a game. I know it's a game. I know I did the same thing with my dad. I just I pretended like, you know, yeah, whatever you want, dad. Yeah, whatever. Old man, right? Of course, I didn't say that to him. I'd lose my teeth. But, you know, we still have that, that you know, yeah. I don't know. What do you want to be? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. Keep doing that. You know, you're, gonna, you're not going to be nothing. Pfft, whatever, right? But have your dad say, you loser. <clears throat> right? Have your mom say, you're just going to turn out just like all oh, the It goes through you, doesn't it? I can tell you, every time my dad dissed me, 
It's in my memory bank and filed up in front in the highly important category. Are you with me? I love my dad, and my dad also blessed me. And, I, and those blessings are way up in the important category. The blessing is powerful. And in Bible times, we see the blessing comes true. When a father lays his hands upon his son and he lays upon the blessing upon his son, it comes true. It was highly valued. Now, I want to tell you the limitation of that. If you've got a parent that's just kind of messed up because they're not saved and they're like messed up in the head and they've spoken horrible, hurtful things to you, I am sorry, but there is a power that there's a blessing that goes beyond their blessing, and it's the blessing of the Almighty. So if your parent fell short, I'm sorry. God can heal that. But if you've got good parents, okay, I'm not saying perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. No parent's going to say they're perfect. But if you've got good parents, man, I appreciate it. So Isaac is coming up to do the blessing, and he says, he says to Esau, Esau, you know how much I love venison. Go get me a deer. Bring it back. Prepare it. Son, I'm going to bless you. Now Isaac's blind by this point. He can't see. So he has Esau, and he's holding him by his big old matty hair on his back or something, and he goes, go, go get me that venison. And he runs to go get him the venison. Well, Isaac's wife's listening, but she kind of favors. Have you ever have you ever thought maybe like, well, your mom's favorite, well, your dad's favorite, right? You're probably right. So anyway, I don't know. I doubt that. Actually, parents love both kids, but in this case, the mom really liked Jacob. So she said, "Look, quick, make venison. Here's a deer. Make it, and go in and get the blessing. You're going to steal it from your brother." Okay, now Jacob's this like little hairless dude, you know? And he's like, there's no way we're going to pull this off. She says, don't worry about it. They kill the goat, and check it out. They take the goat's hide, and she wraps it around his neck and on his arms, and then puts his tunic on, right? Do you guys ever smell a goat? I mean, you can smell a goat, right? Goats smell intense. Have you ever smelled a butchered goat? Oh, man. All right. So imagine she puts the goat on Jacob's neck and his arms, and she says, go in. And, and so he comes in, and he goes, Father, I've brought you the meal you asked me for. Now, Isaac's blind, but he's going, Jacob? No. And he, I'm sure he's disguising his voice. No, it's Esau. You know? And he goes, come here. And he comes up, and when he grabs him, he gets all this goat fur, and he, and he goes, you smell like Esau. <laughs> so now we know what he smells like. You smell, you feel like Esau, you smell like him, but you sound like Jacob. But nobody else was in the room. He, he brought me my, he says, well, and he eats the stew, and he goes, oh, man, do I love venison. He eats the stew, and he, and he blesses Jacob. Jacob steals the blessing. Now, we might think, big deal. It's a huge deal. Jacob gets the blessing, gets up, books. About that time, Esau comes back, has made the stew, and he goes, Father, I've come for my blessing. And he says, wait a minute, who are you? I just gave my blessing to my son Esau. He says, no, Father, I'm Esau. And he cries out, I've been tricked. Your brother stole your blessing. And Esau cries, and he starts saying, Father, you've got to bless me. He says, no, I, I got the blessing from God, and I gave it to Jacob. 
surely you can bless me. And he pretty much doesn't. He says, okay. He says, give me anything, whatever you got left over. And he blesses him. And he pretty much says, you're going to serve Jacob. You're going to be the lesser. That was the great blessing. You're the lesser one. Jacob's the winner. You lost. Okay. So at this point, um, Jacob is the heel grabber, right? He steals the birthright, and he steals the blessing. And then he runs like mad because Esau's going to kill him. And so he runs, and he's running away. But I want you to understand something. I'm not saying that what Jacob did was right. Obviously, he's kind of a slimy little guy, isn't he? Okay? But God can work with slimy people, praise be unto God. We can be messed up, and he can work with us. But I want you to see the difference. Esau cared less about the things of God. Jacob wanted the things of God. Now, did he go about getting them the right way? No. God's got a couple things up his sleeve for Jacob, okay? And God's going to teach Jacob some things, but what God appreciated was Jacob wants it. Esau could care less. And so as Jacob is running away from his brother, he falls asleep, puts his head upon a rock. God gives him a vision, and God gives him the blessing. So if somebody can go to Genesis 28, verses 13 and 14. It's not too far away. Somebody have that? Okay. Nice and loud. Frankie, would you do that? It's the same promise, isn't it? By the way, when he says, I'm going to make you like dust, it doesn't mean like he's going to kill him. He says, I'm going to make you as many as there are particles of dust. So it's like, I'm going to make you like that. You're going to have that many kids. Are you with me? So he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you all, it's the exact same promise. Um, and he gets it in a place um, that he later names Bethel, and he takes the rock that he was sleeping on, and he makes an altar for it. And when he has the vision, he sees a ladder going into heaven. We're going to come back to that in another batch of things. We're going to kind of come on this in a couple swipes. I want to keep everything of the same kind together. That's a pre-type of Christ. But he gets the blessing. So let's go through this. Creation, corruption, vegetables, and blood, murder, and a flood, tower, and tongues. 4,000 years ago, God calls Abraham out of Babylon into the promised land. A kingdom is promised. Ishmael is not the one. Isaac, a kingdom is promised. Esau is not the one. Jacob, a kingdom is promised. Twelve sons. Phew. Okay. Jacob now ends up having twelve sons. Now, I don't know if you guys know the whole story, but Jacob, we're just going to kind of breeze it really, really quick. But Jacob goes, oh, by the way, Jacob goes and gets a wife, just like Isaac got a wife, from the descendants of Abraham. It is now a blood. There's only one people. These are the people of God. God chose one people. Why? To show the whole world who he was. God wasn't being exclusive for the purpose of excluding the problem was is mankind is running amok. He's already dealt with it twice. 
And so now he says, you know what? We're going to give an example, a little bit of show and tell. I'm going to take one man whose heart is after me, and I'm going to make a great nation out of him. And all the world is going to watch this nation. And when this nation follows me, I will bless it beyond all blessings. They're going to have victories that are inexplicable. But when this nation disses me, I'm going to punish them like no nation has ever been punished. And if you look at the history of Israel, that's exactly what you will see. You will see God made a certain people an example. And he says, so you've got to stay one people, untouched by the world. So Isaac gets his wife from Abraham's stock. And Jacob gets his wife from Abraham's stock. Esau is upset. And so you know what Esau does? He goes and gets a wife. Guess where he went? To Ishmael. Do you know where Ishmael went? He went to the Egyptians. They, they, they said, fine, God. And they went outside the people to get their wives. Okay, so, and so Isaac's going, Esau, you know, get a, get a good Jewish girl, you know. And he's going, no, I'm going to go get my wife from Ishmael. I'm just dissing you. Jacob goes to get his wife from Laban. It's, it's a friend. He falls in love with Rachel because she's beautiful, but she's the younger sister. Leah is older, and it says that she has weak eyes. I have no clue what that means, but she has weak eyes. Leah does. And um, Jacob is in love with Rachel. He's in love with her. And so, but remember, Jacob's a little sneak, isn't he? He's kind of a little creep, and he tricks people. He's with Laban, and Laban says, you want Rachel, my daughter? Yeah. Look, you work for me seven years. You can have Rachel as your wife. Jacob's like, all right. So Jacob busts it for seven years. Let's talk about an engagement. By the way, in this time, there's no holding hands, kissing, making out behind the sheepfold thing going on here. Okay? Seven years, guys. That's a man. So he does seven years. They have the big party, la da 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 right? Go through the marriage thing. And of course, in the marriage thing, they cover the face of the bride. But since usually the face is like this, but for some reason, the bride's got her whole head covered because he doesn't want her to see the eyes. And so he's thinking he's marrying Rachel. But Laban is even more sneaky than Jacob. And he takes Leah and puts her in the wedding dress. And so... In Jewish weddings, it's not one of those like where, you know, you tie the cans onto the back of the donkey and bid them farewell, they go off to the Holiday Inn. It's not like that. When you get married, they walk you straight over to the tent, and it's like, now, grandkids, right now, right? And so they have to go in, and everybody's standing around the tent going, go, 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 right? And so, uh, you know, be thankful that we're in this culture, right? So Jacob takes who he thinks is Rachel in there, but it's Leah. He's, let me see your face. No, that's okay. And so he sleeps with Leah. Of course, he's also kind of drunk. When he wakes up in the morning, he rolls over. Whoa! It's Leah. He comes, I'm sure he comes flying out of the, what are you doing? And Laban's like, hey, it's not our culture to marry off the youngest first. We've got to marry off the oldest first. We had a deal, Rachel. He says, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But I gave you Leah, and she's just as good. And from our cultural standpoint, you can't sue me. 
This is legal. So seven more years and you get Rachel. So he works him for another seven years and he gets Rachel. Well, he loves Rachel and he doesn't love Leah. That's got to stink. Okay, by the way, for those of you who have heard that the Bible teaches polygamy, no, it doesn't. It talks about polygamy, but it definitely doesn't teach that it's a good thing. And so Jacob is, is he's got two wives, but he only really loves the one. He really doesn't love the other one. And she's heartbroken because she's basically married to a man who doesn't love her. So she's crying out before the Lord. She's like, God, it's not my fault. Why? I live with a man who doesn't love me. So God opens her womb, and he closes Rachel's. And so she has, she starts having boys. And she gives them these names because she's like, he's going to love me now. I, I gave him a son. Doesn't happen. She gets a, well, now he's going to love me because I gave him two sons. And the third one, well, now we're going to be together forever because I gave him three sons, and she can't give him any. And, of course, she's over there crying out, God, you've got to. So she thinks back to Sarah, and she's like, here, you can have my handmaiden. And so he starts to have sons for Rachel through her handmaiden. Well, now we've got some more kids going on there. Well, then Leah, she's getting jealous. She's going, no, don't gun it. Here, take my handmaiden. He starts having kids through her handmaiden. Finally, God listens to the prayer of Rachel, and she starts having babies. And Abraham's got like four women that he's got to like, and they're all like fighting. That's why I said, phew. Twelve sons. Let's look at them. We talked about names, right? By the way, so you know that polygamy just, it doesn't work. Oh, man, you can't see any of the, all right, I'm just going to open these up. Because um, you can't. All right, these are the twelve sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. And their names, just like we said before, have meanings. Let's check it out. Reuben's name is Behold a Son. He was the first one to Leah. Behold a Son. And then Simeon is God has heard my cries. And if you read through Genesis, you'll see why each one of these names were picked. Levi means now my husband will be attached to me. Now he will crown me with glory because I've given him three sons. And then we have Judah, which means praise. Dan means God judges. Um, uh, Naphtali means my wrestling. Gad means fortune. Asher means happy or blessed. Issachar means his reward will come. Zebulun means exalting or dwelling place. Joseph means God will increase. And Benjamin means son of my right hand. Now, I'm not going to be able to do the really cool thing with you and like add three words and it make a whole sentence. But just in looking at the meanings of those names, do you start to see that there's obviously a lot of prophecy going on here? I mean, what was the first thing you hear when you think of, when you hear, behold a son? Who are we talking about? Jesus, behold a son. Through the whole scripture, it's behold a son. God has heard, and he's attached praise. And God has judged our wrestling with sin, and he's given us fortune and happiness because it says that his reward will come, and he will dwell with us, and we will increase with the son of my right hand, which it says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. Now, it doesn't fit super perfectly, but that's kind of got an interesting little twist to it. If you go through your Bible, you will find that the list of the 12 tribes, is ne there's lots of different lists, and they're not always the same. Later on, Joseph is going to have two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and actually they will be blessed as tribes. 
And so depending on where you're at in the Bible, they substitute tribes and move them around. I haven't done the homework on this yet. Oh, Ephraim and Manasseh? Check this out. Ephraim means faithfulness or fruitfulness or ashes, and Manasseh means forgetfulness. And so depending, I know that somebody's done a study, I just couldn't find it, that the things keep changing as the lists of family changes. There's a different message. The very last list of the 12 tribes is in Revelation, and Dan is not in there. And many believe it's because the symbol of Dan is the serpent. And many believe that the Antichrist will arise out of the tribe of Dan. He is not included in the 144,000 in the book of Revelation. In other words, even though the names keep changing, it's because God's sending messages through the different listings of the tribes. There's also logistical reasons on why they do this. The tribe of Levi doesn't get an inheritance of land, so you pull Levi out. Well, since you pull Levi out, you don't have 12 tribes. Well, but Joseph has Ephraim and Manasseh, you see? And so you can use them in its place, but you have to pull Joseph out, and now you have Ephraim and Manasseh to work. So there's different things that, that happen there. Now, I want to show you two things. We see that Ishmael is the firstborn, but he doesn't get the kingdom. It's the secondborn, Isaac. That happened again, didn't it? Esau, the firstborn, didn't get it. It was Jacob. That's interesting. Funny thing is, Reuben, the firstborn, doesn't get the, the blessing either. It ends up going later on. And if we come down to Joseph, Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. But when he goes to get the blessing from Jacob, Jacob crosses his hands. He's blind. And he blesses him like this. Joseph says, no, 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 no. You're putting the right-hand blessing on the wrong son. He's the, the, this is the firstborn. And Jacob says, I know what I'm doing. Because the younger will be greater than the older. What's going on here? The culture says the firstborn gets double. But anywhere within the lineage of Christ, it's always the second who becomes bigger. Anybody got a clue why that happens? It's prophetic. Who does the gospel go to first? The Jews. But the Jews refuse it. Who does it go to second? The Gentiles. Who becomes larger? the Gentile church. There's a prophecy. And the Gentiles will always be, the Gentile church will always be larger than the Jewish church. There is a group of Jewish believers, and in the end times in Revelations, the Jews will rise up again, and there'll be 144,000. But you put the Jews together here and here, and they're still the smaller church. The bigger church is the Gentile, and it's the second born. That prophecy has been just being repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. So let's do it all together. Are you ready? Creation, corruption, vegetables, and blood, murder, and a flood, tower, and tongues. 4,000 years ago, God calls Abraham out of Babylon into the promised land. A kingdom is promised. Ishmael, not the one. Isaac, a kingdom is promised. Esau, not the one. Jacob, a kingdom is promised. Twelve sons. Phew. All right. That's how far we've gotten. I hope these hand gestures, this, this mnemonic will help you wake up all of these things. But the other pattern I want you to see is throughout all of the Bible, you see a contrast between man trying to work for salvation and God providing salvation through a sacrifice. Don't you? Is anybody else seeing this? Am I making it clear enough?
Okay, if you want to be a Buddhist, you will, work your, you will try to work your way unto, um, unto the next level. If you're going to be a Hindu, you're going to try to work your way. If you're going to be a Muslim, you're going to work your way. If you're going to be a Mormon, you're going to work your way. If you're going to be a Jehovah Witness, you're going to work your way. All right, you've got to work your way unto the next level, whether that be nirvana or moksha or paradise. You have to work your way in all other religions. There is only one that is totally set apart, and it's called Judeo-Christianity. And there it says you can't work your way. You can't do it. You need to be saved by the blood. And that's why Jesus comes and bleeds upon a cross. That is the pattern. It starts in Genesis. We're not even out of Genesis, and we've seen that cycle about six or seven times. God's trying to teach us something. If you have been living a religious life, if your faith, if your belief system is just a religion, a thing about do's and don'ts, then it's, it's fig leaves. It cannot save. The only thing that can save is turning away from everything. And I mean everything. If you're going to hold on to something, he's, if he's not Lord of everything in your life, then he's not Lord at all. You're playing a game, right? You go, God, you can be God of half my life. You can be God of my Sunday. But you stay out of my Saturday. And definitely don't touch my Friday night. That's not God. Do you understand? I want to make sure it's clear because the problem is, is there's so many people who think that, well, I've tried Christianity and it didn't work for me. No, what happened is you didn't do what God said. You didn't embrace the power. You didn't push everything behind you. You didn't submit yourself completely under the blood of Jesus Christ. But somehow you thought you were still good enough or somehow you were going to earn your way to sal salvation. Somehow you thought you were going to make it. You were going to squeeze real hard and be holy. That is an abomination before God. And you won't taste Jesus that way. You won't have the power of God in you that way. The only way is to push everything else aside and say, God, I need to be saved. Would you wash me? Would you fill me? And will you lead me? And he will. But then expect that if you think you're going to kind of turn and wander, you're going to get spanked. Praise be unto God. Then some people get mad at that because they got spanked. Hey, what are you doing spanking me? I just wanted goodies. God's like, no, you're my kid now. Okay? Does it make sense? We're going to see all this through the scriptures, and I'm going to show you some really cool stuff coming up as well. But I want to kind of keep clipping along pretty fast. Father, we praise you and we thank you because you are great and you are mighty. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your plans. We thank you for your salvation.